Welcome back to the Flatback 4 podcast. In this episode, we discuss England's so-called golden generation. We look at the highs and lows of the English national team from 2002 to 2010. Okay, lads, the next topic we're going to look at is the England so-called golden generation. So we looked at the England team from 2002 until 2010, which the media would have portrayed them as being the golden generation. Um, so obviously, it starts off with Sven, doesn't it? Um, he takes over in 2001. And England struggle to qualify for the World Cup 2002. It's that David Beckham free kick against Greece that, that ends up letting them draw with, with Greece 2-2, I think, and they, and they scraped away to it. But Dixon, they get to the, the World Cup anyway, 2002. Did they let England down? They obviously lose to a very good Brazil team. What's your thoughts on that? Um, I think they were a bit unlucky as well, you have to say. Um, Gary Neville and Steven Gerrard both got injured in the build-up to the World Cup. And particularly Gerrard, he was sublime in the qualifying campaign. Uh, then Danny Murphy was called in to replace Gerrard and in turn got injured himself. And Murphy was a, a quality player um, to to replace Gerrard, especially he could come on last 15, 15 minutes of games and break teams down with, with set pieces. And then you've got the likes of McManaman, who was overlooked for Trevor Sinclair. I don't know if that was a great decision. Mm. And then, look, I don't, I don't think they let them down in 2002, but they were beaten by a, a superb Brazil team. Uh, a piece of Ronaldinho magic or fluke, who knows? Yeah, it's very, uh, very. And then you know, if that if that goal didn't go in, uh, Brazil ended up getting a red card, so you don't know how it could have finished up. And then you'd have to fancy England to go on and beat Turkey in the in the semis, and maybe meet Germany in the final, who they had a huge psychological edge over after beating five one in the qualifying campaign. So I think they were unlucky more so than they let England down. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point, Dixon. I think you have to remember. They did, lose, they did lose to Brazil, as we said, who had one of their golden generations. You think of that team, yeah. Ronaldo, Rivaldo, Ronaldinho, Cafu was the captain. The that's just, yeah, that's just to name a few. When everyone remembers, certainly people our age remembers that, that Brazil 2002 team. Yeah. And it's just, it's what we grew up watching. It's world-class players. Yeah. And like, like you said, Dixon, in that game against Brazil, Danny Mills starts right back and Trevor Sinclair, as you said, starts left mid. Nicky Butt starts as well. And Heskey starts. So they're not names you would think of a golden generation. So maybe it is unfair to say, look, they, they led England down that year. Um, Kenneth, were you, obviously you would have watched as well. What were your thoughts on it? The England side there had, an, like, you know, you mentioned names like Sinclair, Nicky Butt. They still had an abundance of riches. You know, the squad was still riddled with talent. Michael Owen, you know. On form, Michael Owen. Like, as I say, Ashley Cole there. You had Ger- like well, Gerard missed that one, so did Gary Neville with injury. Um, so Rio, John Terry, Sol Campbell. The, the names go on. Um, they did do quite well. Um, I thought you know, it was that one moment, wasn't it, of Ronaldinho magic? Was it a cross? Was it a shot against David Seaman there? Um, you know, the Samba boys there, Rivaldo, Ronaldo, Ronaldinho. Was there a better trio around that time? No. But they still, the England side there, Beckham and the likes, I think they did quite well, actually, in 2002 World Cup, to be fair. Chrissy. 
Yeah, like they had five of 13 players used had played in the World Cup before. So like only five out of 13 players, I suppose, had played before. So it's kind of like, I suppose, that 2002 was maybe a build-up uh, to maybe mm-hmm. the 2006 World Cup where this is kind of the start of the build-up of the golden generation rather than mm-hmm. the kind of the golden generation for those kind of players. Um, just looking at the match reports, like it seemed like England against Sweden were under pressure. Um, Seaman had to make some great saves and again Argentina took a penalty um, for them to come through and it seems like the defence again were, were really solid um, and good so it, it just seemed like there was great defensive displays but England were a bit under pressure they weren't kind of the dominating team I would say mm. that against Brazil with the team that Brazil had they actually managed quite well um, Gareth Southgate had an interesting quote just after the tournament he said we were expecting Winston Churchill and we got Ian Duncan Smith instead, which was kind of, a, you know, a massive, I suppose, dart at um, Sven Gordon Eriksson. Kind mm. of thing. We were expecting this great manager, great tactician, and he just he just wasn't that man at all. Well, interesting that you say that, uh, Chrissy. Sven Gordon Eriksson was a well-touted manager at that time. He, he wins Serie A with yeah. Lazio. People forget he he won a lot of uh, kind of titles and, and trophies. Um, I think can I see you nodding your head there with Lazio? So yeah, it was absolutely. it was a big appointment. It was obviously England's first ever. You look at the other side. He was around there, lad. He was against AC Milan with like Shevchenko yeah, at the teams. time. Then you say Pirlo, Juve side there. You know, full of talent. Um, the Inter Milan, Crespo, Ronaldo. Yeah. They had so many great players there. He went with Lazio there and done a great job. So is it one to say there that was a a bad call? Yeah. Um, no. Dixon, um, I don't think so. Dixon, I know you're a big, you're a big fan of the Italian, the, the Italian league. And obviously the Italian league back in the year 2000 obviously was such a strong league. A particular, a particular hard league to win, to be fair. Yeah, exactly. So, um, But I, I'd like to say like Sven, Sven uh, he got a lot of stick uh, during his time as England manager, but his record wasn't that bad. Uh, he had 10 losses in 67 games compared to the current manager, Mr. Southgate. But has ten losses in forty nine games, so it's it's a lot worse, and it just seems that Sven's losses just seem to come at really critical times. Um, you know, obviously we'll go on and talk about other tournaments, but it was just in the crunch moments. Maybe he didn't have it, but I think his overall record is good. They score plenty of goals, average more than two goals a game under Sven, which is which is very good for an international mm. team. Yeah, I think it's it's uh, people. I just think people tend to forget how good. And how successful he was. Obviously, he was England's first ever foreign manager. So, it always is going to raise a few eyebrows, especially with the English media. We'll move on, lads. Obviously, uh, that's 2002. Uh, the next one, obviously, 2004 Euros. They, they end up losing on penalties to Portugal, which obviously penalties might come up a little bit in this conversation. But this is where, this is where the big debate comes up at 4-4-2. And everyone will, will, will kind of remember that England were abused. The manager was abused for playing 4-4-2. This is a manager who had success playing 4-4-2 in Lazio. Um, so obviously, you, you go on to the big debate about Gerard Lampard and Scholes, who at that point were maybe not all in their prime. Maybe Gerard wasn't his prime at that period, but certainly a couple of years later, maybe Lampard a couple of years later as well. But he ended up playing Paul Scholes on the left. Dixon, I know you're obviously a United fan, big fan of Paul Scholes. Paul Scholes retired in 2004 after that tournament. Any thoughts yeah. on that and the four four two? Was that down to Sven or should he have gone with a four three three? Obviously, in hindsight, what were your thoughts? I suppose um, looking back at it, four three three wasn't the most popular formation. Um, I think a lot of people might have thought that it would leave you exposed on the wing, 
Uh, so I think that was a concern. So the four four two obviously was a tried and t- trusted formation for for Sven, but he was trying to accommodate too many players. I feel um, at that time, Scalds was the box to box kind of player for United anyway, and he was probably one of the best in the league at that time. That was kind of his prime uh, goal scoring form. And so I think, I think he thought he could get more in an attacking sense out of Scholes. And Scholes himself has said he didn't mind playing on the left, but uh, it definitely wasn't his best position. Um, I really thought Euro 2004 was England's best chance of winning a major tournament in the golden generation for me. The squad was just stacked. Uh, They did go out on penalties, obviously, like you said, to eventual finalists, Portugal. So yeah, obviously they got knocked out by uh, Portugal on penalties and if that game had maybe gone the other way for England, you probably would have fancied them to get past a Dutch side who weren't really one of the great Dutch sides and then you'd have to fancy them to beat Greece in the final. So again, this was their best chance, I feel, and they, they let they let England down this time. Yeah, I think I think I would I would echo that, Dixon. I think you're right. Um, Chris, I'll go to you. And go back to the kind of formation that Dixon was talking about there. Is it the case that Sven was maybe afraid to leave out a Michael Owen, who was a media darling, a Wayne Rooney, who was the next big thing, uh, and maybe flood that midfield? Was was it the case of he was under pressure by the players or maybe the, maybe the press? What were your thoughts? Yeah, well, I was actually, interesting enough, recently I was listening to Owen Hargreaves, um, who spoke about the golden generation at that time, and he was just even speaking mm-hmm. about training. And he just said the training and the intensity of it was just out of this world. He just said it was so good. And he he maintained that Sven struggled and never utilised Gerard Lampard and Scholes as good as he could. And he said that he got the blend totally wrong on the team. And because there were so many, it felt like the training was so good, he said, but it was like there were so many superstars. It was like Sven not only had fear, he actually struggled or didn't know how he was going to get the best out of everybody. Um, and I don't mm. think he was prepared maybe to put some players on the bench and choose them over other players. Um, like you could have put, you could have chose one of the, the players and put them onto the bench and then maybe brought them in after 60 or 70 minutes and you had a quality player coming onto the pitch then to uh, to kind of, to, let's say it was Paul Scholes, let's say it was Stephen Gerrard who could come in, dictate the game um, and bring something different to the game to get England over the line. But it just seemed that Sven was desperate to get everybody into the team and didn't really want to make some big calls, you might say as well, if we're going to speculate yeah. about it. Yeah, he, he speaks, I think he was on an interview with um, Carragher recently and, and well, maybe in the last year or two. And he says that he just had to pick Scholes, he had to pick Lampard and he had to pick Gerrard. It wasn't the case that um, it wasn't the case that he was, was picking them in necessarily their best position, but he said he couldn't leave them out. Um, Kenna. Another word on that, I think what a lot of people forget is that during those golden generation periods, especially 2004 onwards, England never had a top keeper. David James was was the keeper who made the most. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so a, a word on that and what, what's your thoughts there? I totally agree. I thought the yeah. weak point was the goalkeeping position. I thought Seaman would have been past his prime um, back in even 02 and then you got James, who was always there for, you know, known as Calamity James for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they had Nigel Martin, Robinson, but they never weren't stacked there with keepers. Going back to the 4-4-2, Sven did say that you had to fit them all in, as you say there, but I believe that side, that England side, especially I agree with Dixon, that was the one I thought that they could yeah. win. 
was ready made for a three-five-two, um, with Beckham and Cole as like acting wing backs going forward. They were stacked in centre halves. They had Terry, Rio, Saul, Campbell. They had Canada, Ledley King. That's what I'm saying. That Jonathan Woodgate, even at the time, they had stacked players there. Gerard Lampard, Scholes. You had Rooney and Owen up top. If you wanted to do it that way, yeah, like. We're unlucky now in the group stage, in fairness, against France. Lampard scored to put them one up in the first game. Zidane scores two goals in the 90th minute. Croatia, they win 4-2. Um, Skulls, Rooney with a two. And Lampard, they beat the Swiss 3-0. Gerard scores, Rooney gets a double. And then like it goes to 2-2 in the, in the quarterfinal against Portugal. Owen you know, scores, Lampard scores an extra time. I think teams... Worked out had to play against England, other big sides. They went three and flooded the midfield. This game here in particular, Costinha, yeah, um, Deco and Rui Costa. You know they were flooding that midfield against it to squash the England players um, and really give them no chance. Like Lampard, what was he known for? Getting into the box, driving forward. Gerrard dictating box to box. Mm. They couldn't do it in this game. I think other sides really figured it out in time as well. Yeah. Fair enough, lads. I think that's enough on the thousand four euros. It obviously, is worth mentioning that Rooney gets injured in that Portugal game in the twenty seventh minute, so that's a big loss for them in that game as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, moving on yeah. to two thousand six, then the World Cup again. It's Portugal again. It's penalties. Um, I'll start. I'll start yeah. with the selection because this before we go into actually the games played. Um, I think I want to go to Dixon here. Theo Walcott is taken as the fourth striker. Darren Bent hit 18 Premier League goals that year. Now, Sven always says, look, your 23rd player, which would have been Walcott, they never win you the tournament. But what were your thoughts on that? Very strange. Obviously, it, it, it raised plenty of eyebrows. This was, uh, this was bizarre. Like, uh, players, for England especially, they seem to get overlooked if they're not playing for one of the so-called day clubs in England. So Walcott was in there by default because he was an Arsenal starlet. Um, like I said, Darren Bent. I was a huge fan of Darren Bent. I think I mentioned him in my strikers. Yeah, um, Our Premier League 11 yeah. strikers. Um, I was a huge fan and he definitely could have changed games, especially late on for England. They were, they were hugely unconvincing at this tournament for me. They needed an own goal against Paraguay. They needed two late goals against Trinidad and Tobago. To go through the group, which is just ridiculous, like, um, and it t- they brought Crouch as well, so they were they were changing the whole style of play. They were trying to play long balls. Then I think was getting desperate at this stage, and uh, he made a howl of a decision bringing Walcott for me. Yeah, and obviously Jermaine Defoe's in that bracket as well, who was scoring goals regularly yeah, there. Exactly. So very strange. I don't even think um, Walcott had made a, an appearance for Arsenal at that stage. I might be wrong there, but he was definitely a new signing. Oh, no, he, he didn't. didn't. He hadn't talked. Okay, fair enough. I'm right there. Um, Okay, Chrissy, I'll go to yourself then. Dixon speaks about um, England not being convincing. Would you agree? And obviously, your thoughts on the the game against Portugal again? It's, like I said, it's penalties again, and it's it's uh, Portugal. Yeah, just e- even to start, even to start off, Elliot. Just the pressure on the team coming into the tournament was just something else. Like they were talking about winning a World Cup in rugby in two thousand three. The Ashes, they won the cricket in 05. And then they said that it was the 40th anniversary of the World Cup win in 1966. So, like, they thought this was it for England. And the pressure was just unbelievable. And I remember even something funny about the the wags were even spoke about in the media, about staying so close mm. to the 
players' hotel and that they were getting all this media coverage. So the pressure during the tournament and even before they kicked the ball just was was unbelievable. Um, but regards to penalties, I suppose for penalties, it's a mental thing um, as well. And it, the pressure does come into it um, big time. But some of the big names, I suppose, did miss penalties. Um, I, I think Hargreaves scored a penalty and actually had a great World Cup. Um, Gerard mm-hmm. and Lampard missed. Like, when when would you see that? Um, imagine mm-hmm. giving a penalty to Gerard and Lampard and thinking that they were going to miss. You could have nearly... For them both to miss in the same shootout is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Just just madness. Um, but I think... I do agree with the lads. I think the Euro 2004 was England's best, was England's best chance of winning. Like, I think there were still players... They were really struggling for a good winger. There were some positions where they could never really fill that position. Like Lennon, Downing and Walcott were all there. Walcott could play wide. Like those players were, were not up to it. They were players that were going to be sitting on the bench. They never could have came on and really contributed to get England where, where they needed to be. Um, to kind of go on and win a World Cup, really, realistically. Um, Kenneth, do, do, do yeah. England get unlucky there? Obviously... Michael Owen gets injured in an earlier game in the group, I think. Um, yeah. Rooney gets sent off against Portugal in that game. So England end up playing a 4-5-1 with Crouch up front. Um, so were they unlucky in that sense or is that just, that's obviously just part of the game, is it? Um, part of the game, but I think Sven made a lot of bad selections prior to the World Cup. There was a yeah. lot of players there with niggling injuries. Gary Neville, for one, he went off in the first game with an injury. Um, but he was he had a niggle before he went there. Um, as you said there, Michael Owen towards ACL basically ended his international career. Um, Rooney does metatarsal there against Chelsea. He said himself that he wasn't in the right state to kind of play. Um, he did go, as you say, to a 4-5-1 in that game. I kind of disagree with the winging sort of situation where England did have a, another winger there in Joe Cole at the time at Chelsea. Joe Cole was banging goals for Chelsea, left, right and centre, winners at Anfield, at Stamford Bridge against Man United. He was on form at mm. that time of his career. Um, didn't really get much of a starting position. Here he scored there, a great he did. goal, didn't he? Um, a great volley, actually, in that, in that World Cup, I think. I think he got a great goal against Sweden. I think it was actually about 35, 40 yards out. He was a great goal. Right, yes. Him and Gerard, him and Gerard scored that game. Larson with a 90th minute equaliser, like that could have um, kind of ruined England sort of positioning or wherever they could be. As you say, there you got the penalties. England had such a bad luck. It'd be one of their failures of that generation would be the penalty shootout luck. Um, but as Chrissy said, it is mentality. But I do think the heightened expectations of the media weighed on the players and you never know if that pressure can actually yeah, win. That's a great you. point and I was going to go back to it because um, Chrissy obviously mentioned as well about the media pressure. Now I'm not saying that other countries don't have the pressure. I'm sure in Italy, Spain they have had that pressure especially during their golden generations and things like that and they can get slated yeah. by the media but if you go back, I know it wasn't during the golden generation, if you go back to the Euro, Euro 2000 and when David Beckham gets sent off against uh, Simeone, I think it's Euro 2000. No, that's no, it's 98 that is, lad, and uh, he got done there, yeah. that one Beckham did. I think in Italia 94, where they reached the semi-finals and got knocked out on penalty Southgate. Yeah, but just if you go back, so if you go uh, back to that Beckham incident with um, with Simeone, when he kicks out, gets yeah, sent off, it's obviously a pection little kick, and Simeone makes the most or whatever. 
But when you look at how the English media portrayed that, there was the mirror posted a picture of David Beckham's face on the dartboard. Um, or I think it was, no, sorry, the Stab yeah. Sun. The, the mirror put up a quote that said, um, well, I'll just read it here. It said, uh, 10 heroic lions, one stupid boy. You, and you think about that. David Beckham's a young man there, and he's it does that. That doesn't help the team at all. And I think the, I don't. Could you? I don't. Wouldn't see an Irish newspaper doing that about the Irish team. Hundred percent, no. I, I wouldn't no. see that. I could. I could see them being being no. bad for certain no. for certain cases, but I, I definitely think look, they were burning effigies of David Beckham, and it was plastered all over the newspaper. That doesn't help, and that definitely comes into what I think the media side. But I know all teams have that pressure, but I think, I think absolutely. That's why Dixon I think that's kind of the big country mentality, if you like. They're just expectant to win, so that's why they want to almost hang someone out the drive to blame for their losses, whereas a country like Ireland is more an underdog mentality, so we kind of rally together that's when we lose, and we kind of get around players and support them, whereas England are so expectant to win, they want nearly a scapegoat for their losses, so um, it just happened yeah. to be Beckham that time, and look what he went on to do for them then. Yes, yeah, 100%. 100%. He captained he? He captained England for a long time. But I do think, Elliot, there's one other point there I'd like to add when it comes to this sort of phase. And, you know, when you do, you listen to the players, club rivalries as well were a Great big point. factor in this. Um, big, big factor. Like the likes of Rio, Lampard and Gerrard, they all sat down and spoke openly about it. Rio was saying it was the club before country mentality where he didn't want to sit with Lampard or Gerard, like him and Lampard grew up from 14 onwards at West Ham. You know, they went their separate ways. Rio went to Leeds. Lampard went to Chelsea. But they didn't want to be with each other at the England camp. They didn't want to sit next to each other talk. It was when they tried to put one table together, it was a uh, one yeah. United end, you know, Chelsea end, Liverpool, yeah. and then the rest. But in this sort of regard, that there does not help. That Where's the bonding? Where's that sort of, you know... I know from, you know, when you represent your country there, you need to have that togetherness and inclusiveness together to really go far. And obviously this was a, a big, yeah. I thought it was a big factor. I agree. Uh, I, like that. Gary Neville mentions that as well. Uh, stories of how the camp was so split because of the Premier League rivalries. I'd just like to point out as well, all major international tournament winning managers since the year 2000 were from the same country, with obviously the exception of Otto Rehagel, who managed Greece in 2004. And I just think at that time, especially 2004, 2006, maybe England needed a top British manager to galvanise the squad. You know, maybe... Do you think sorry? so? I really think so, in a, in a sense where I think what they... Just saying there on that one, it's a, very, it's a great point about the manager situation, but I think they needed the manager who could really get a grip of that midfield. They had the best midfield players. Well, I'm the thinking world. the midfield didn't Lampard, click because Gerard, they were from so... three different rival Premier League clubs. And I think maybe if they had a, um, a strong, strong British figurehead at the yeah. helm, I think it would have helped maybe pull them together. Good point, Dixon. Like who? I'm not sure who. Who could have been like um, Harry Redknapp maybe for because he worked with a lot of them from yeah, a young age? Harry, yeah. Yeah, like with Joe Cole, Rio, Lamps, he worked with well, a lot Maybe of there was, wasn't a good age. enough one around in that time. That's why they went for Sven. I think they, they tried plenty of English managers. I'm not sure at that point there was a top English manager. Obviously, yeah. the top British managers there, obviously with Fergie, but that, that would have never happened, I suppose. Um, just, 
I would have said in that sense there, just the last point on this one, I would have said in that sense there they would have needed a manager who managed in the Premier League, had that experience in the Premier League, maybe he'd won trophies. But if you had someone like Prime Mourinho or Wenger there, I think they would have been able to sort uh, different issues that were going on there as, you know, the club yeah. rivalry. One, one last systems. word on the rivalries, lads. Um, obviously, you know, Rio, Lamp, Lampard and Gerrard speak about the rivalries. At that time, obviously especially Chelsea United were going for titles. Liverpool and Chelsea were in the midst of that, really, when they were just seemed to be meeting each other all the times in the Cups. At that time as well, English players were not as well-travelled, so you didn't see English players playing in other leagues as much, whereas you would see, you'd see more Italian players in other leagues, Spanish players. I think that's a point to remember as well. So that really did, I think it definitely did affect um, the English yeah. team. And there was a bit of, it was almost like they didn't want to give each other anything. That's why I think... In, what, McManaman's exclusion in the 2002 World Cup was bizarre because he had experience playing obviously with Real Madrid and two Champions League titles to his name. I think especially playing against teams like Brazil who like to have the ball maybe more of a different style of play. McManaman's experience would have been vital, I think. Right, lads, let's move on. Wally with the brolly. <laughs> Steve McLaren. As, he, as he's known, uh, that's an example of the, the media again. That's more of a funny one. But that's what the media call him, the Wally with the Broly. Um, he's obviously a member of him standing there with the umbrella as Croatia beat them at, at Wembley. So obviously the McLaren here is the next one. And straight away he comes in and he drops David Beckham he, and he gives the captaincy to John Terry. Um, I think he drops the likes of Campbell as well, who obviously were um, established England internationals. I'll just, I'll just start from there. There's a couple of more points I do have. But, um, Ken, I know you're a bit more, you're a bit passionate about this. You want to kind of get a few points it's in. Me, so, yeah. what's your thoughts? Big Steve, the Dutch accent and all that he had after. Um, yeah, this was a, this was just, as Dixon said earlier on, using the word bizarre. I don't know what word he'd use for this one. I know he did a decent job at Borough, but Borough were the table side. Come on, man. This is Steve McLaren. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Normally for England, as I say, the one thing England, and I think you should all agree, what they always do is coast to the group, group stages. True. Yeah, uh, definitely. This one here, I mean, to come out of this qualify or not even qualifying, finishing third, especially on the last the last game, it's in your hands at home against Croatia. You go 2-0 down, Cranchard with... Carson, Scott Carson of all people. We're talking about goalkeepers being a weak point earlier on, Elliot. Yeah. And uh, Carson, there you go. there's another blunder waiting in to happen. Um, who was a Vita Olich slipped in and got a goal to make it two. Lampard. Um, and then I think it was a Beckham pinpoint cross to hit Crouchy and then Petridge hit the winner. It was all in England's hands. There you as was Broly, I remember. As you said, the Wally was the Broly in, in Croatia. <laughs> But uh, they had a couple of big losses there to, as I say, Russia, twice Croatia. They drew Israel in the group. Um, yeah, there's, this was just... I'm not, I know I wasn't surprised with this, as you say, dropping big star names like Beckham. You know, Beckham was still doing doing top stuff. He could still do it. Mm. You know, Beckham like, you know, went on after LA to play back in Europe, top, top player still. You could move him in the field then, but... McLaren went his ways and no surprise. Well, Chrissy, um, 
you talk about him obviously dropping Beckham straight away. He ends up doing a U-turn because England actually start the group. I think they win the first couple of games, but then they go on a bad run, as Kenneth said. But he does a U-turn, brings Beckham back. And what does that do for the team? And obviously getting the captain, getting rid of him. Is that just him trying to put a stamp on the team? Or do you think he really didn't rate Beckham? Or what does that do for a team when for messing up the... I think it's a sign of desperation in, in many ways when you get rid of a player and then you bring him back in. It kind of tells the squad that I don't have players that are good enough here, so I need to bring back this player. Um, and it really doesn't, instead of putting your arm around one of the players in the squad that's already there and saying, I, you know, Beckham's gone, he, he's finished, that's it. I need you to pull up your socks and start playing well. And Here's some practical things that you could do better to work on your game, and this is what I need you to do. And really putting your faith in the player. Um, but to go back and bring back Beckham, you know, it was really it said to all the other players fighting for the position that Beckham played, it was kind of saying you're not good enough. Um, you know, and diff- players are different, and we're all we're all human beings, and we're we're all different. There's some players that will put their head down um, with that news, and then there's some players that would say, I need to get my act together, and I'm going to fight for this, and I'm not going to let Beckham get back in to get the place. But it's really poor man management too from McLaren to do that. You know, it's just work with the player. There's loads of young talent there. Work with the players, make them better and prove your worth as a manager. Like in that situation, a Jurgen Klopp, a Pep Guardiola would have trained the young player. They would have worked with them on their skills and got them to do what they need to do to be a better player. But McLaren just really was desperate. And look, that English team, it was a failure of a team um, because they had a poor manager if the thoughts then was bad, um, they definitely got worse with McLaren, um, and it didn't get any better for England. Yeah, Dixon, I don't don't think there's any much more to to add on McLaren. Do you yeah. have any other points or anything you found out that kind of surprised you? Yeah, well, I just think this was the biggest missed opportunity. Actually, to not even qualify for a tournament is bad enough. But I think there was six players who were absolutely in the peak of their their career and could have been even the best players in the world at the in their position at the time. Talking about Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, Wayne Rooney, John Terry, Rio Ferdinand, and Ashley Cole. That's the perfect spine of a team. Like, so I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know what they were thinking. It has to be down to yeah. bad, bad management if he has that squad yeah, of players yeah. and he can't qualify. I know he 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 done his coaching badges under Ferguson, didn't he? I know McLaren was a, yeah. was he part of United's um, backroom staff? Uh, he was, years? yeah, he was, yeah. But uh, like he did do well. Like let's be honest, didn't he win the league up with Borough? So. He kind of got the job on merit, like, but um, yeah, like, look at that team because I know in 2002, obviously, they had the same players, but Gerard wasn't in the prime of his life. But um, this 2018 or 2006 2018, they were all they were all right up there, world players. That's a, that's a great point. I think um, we move on. Obviously, it was the first time England hadn't qualified that I remember. I think it was the first time they hadn't qualified uh, for the Euros in. 24 years, something like that. But anyway, as soon as I, I could never remember them not qualifying. Wasn't it? Was it? It might have been as far back as that. Um, we, we move on then to uh, Fabio Capello. And this appointment is obviously, it's just as strange as the, well, if you call the, the Sven one strange, this is just as strange as well. And there's a lot of similarities between the two coaches. There was a lot of arguing over the 4-4-2 again. Again, Capella was very strict on 4-4-2. This time it was Gerrard out on the left. Um, and Capella would have played, a, I think it was Garrett Barry as the whole midfielder with Lampard in there with him. So again, he was 
he was uh, square pegs and round holes kind of thing, Chrissy. What do you think on that? Or did you have many thoughts on the Capello era and could England have done better? They obviously get to the round of 16 only and they get absolutely demolished by Germany. Yeah, it was he was he was very stubborn, Capello. Like he stuck with the four four two even when it didn't work. Like one of the great things about a manager is adaptability and be able to adapt and change formation and change the players to different positions to suit the team when they need it, um, and to bring on the right players at the right time. And he just didn't do it. And I think Gareth Barry was actually injured for the first game, so it actually went back to Gerald and Lampard in the middle, which he knew didn't work before. Now I know it's unlucky for Gareth Barry to get injured. Um, as well, but just really stubborn with the four four two, like a four three three. I know we mentioned before about getting caught out wide defensively, but I think you have to try something different. Four four two hadn't really worked. He needed to adapt and he needed to use something different to kind of get him through. But one thing I'd say about that squad in particular was a very old squad um, that they had, and Carragher mm. was three years into retirement. He was brought back. Ledley King was constantly getting injured. Uh, he was constantly in the treatment room and he was brought as well. Then you had Terry was taken off the captaincy because of the whole thing with Wayne Bridge um, and all that drama as well. And that would have weighed heavily on John Terry and the English squad because they all would have known either Wayne Bridge or John Terry to a certain degree. They were teammates. They all played together. So that definitely would have weighed in on the squad a lot as well. Then you have Wayne Rooney was carrying an injury going into that he ended up actually going a lot deeper in games to try and get the ball. So there was a lot of things, I suppose, went against him. But Capello really, again, had a lot to answer for um, regards to formation, player selection. Heskey, we spoke with Heskey that he could do a job. Heskey was brought to that yeah. World Cup at age 32. Like, Gareth Barry was a good Premier League player. Was he up to international scratch for, for England to win a World, World Cup? Pardon? Matthew Upson yeah, was brought as well. Matthew Upson, yeah. yeah, as well. Stephen Warnock was brought. Um, you know, Wright Phillips, Michael Dawson. You know, these players, like we had, England had great players. There's no doubt about it. They had great players, great talent. But they just seemed, when it came to a squad, I just wonder sometimes, was the squad as good as other teams in Europe that they were up against? And I actually don't think it was. Yeah, I, I definitely agree, Chrissy. And you have to think, look at their group in, in that uh, in that World Cup: USA, Slovenia, and Algeria. Easy. They got out with that. That's not saying anything that they got out with that group. They only scored they, twice. They, no. And one them really. They only scored twice in that group. Yeah. And, and Dixon, I'll, I'll bring you in there, Dixon, um, because I think we we obviously seen this as the end of the golden generation, and even look at that Germany game. People who started that game, Glenn Johnson, Matthew Upson, the four started it, uh, James Milner and, and Garrett Barry. Now, not bad players, obviously, but that's not what we think no. of as the England golden generation. It's never going to beat that Germany side of 2010 anyway. They were they were trounced by Germany in that game. Uh, I know, obviously, we had that, um, that famous uh, non-goal by Lampard, but I don't think it would have made a difference to the final result. It was actually the first time in a World Cup that a game between England and Germany was decided in 90 minutes. Uh, the previous three had all gone either into extra time or penalties. Um, it was England's largest ever margin of defeat in a World Cup game. So I just think it was an ending befitting of what the golden generation promised but failed to deliver. That's a great point, Dixon. Um, just one thing, Elliot, just on something that Dixon says, it just regards never winning the game. Gerard actually came out after the game and said, 
for me to say that that's the reason we got beat would be a lie. So he just basically kind of put it to bed yeah. that, you know, the goal should have stood, but there was no way we were going to beat Germany and they were the much better team, basically. Yeah, and you have to remember, lads, uh, England England's obviously was 4-1. Matthew Upson was the one who scored for England. Yeah. yeah. So people don't even remember he started, let alone that he scored. <laughs> so I think, I think that's down as... Even if they had England had their a lot of uh, their better players there, would they have even beaten Germany that day? But they obviously played Germany because they finished second. Would that be correct? They would have finished second in their group. Second. Yeah, so that's why. So they're 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 kind of uh, architects of their own downfall in that yeah. way. That look, they're in a group: USA, Slovenia, Algeria, and they couldn't so, uh, top the group. Quite funny, Elliot. Though I, I think the golden generation started with that five-one win against Germany in Germany when. Oh. Um, Patrick, Heskey, Gerard. It was a Liverpool tree that day, and then it, was, it, yeah. ends, it ends against Germany. Yeah, with this four away. Beautiful. Yeah, I, I just think it's that's quite. I think it's a strange one when you look at it in that now. I never, I never thought about it until now. The second, but um, yeah, I, I look at that there. There was so many controversy leading up to that, as, you, as um, Chrissy points out with John Terry and uh, Wayne Bridge, captain leader legends, of course. Um, Doing, doing captain leader legend stuff. Um, <laughs> is, that what, is that what leaders do, is it? No. Um, well, <laughs> <laughs> did you see Wayne Bridges time? Veronica or whatever her name was? No, it was, it was an awful thing to do, of course. And uh, <laughs> it put <laughs> it put the on that jeopardy. Capello was put. Well, Capello wasn't really put. He was obviously going to choose John Terry. That like even. Though Terry was in the wrong, he was always going to choose John Terry over Bridge, even though he could have made a point and, you know, played like a Carragher or King and Whitford and not brought Terry to it. Um, but there was there was so much there with Capella with the FA, even going after when 2010 was in the Terry with the racism with Anton Ferdinand. And Terry got stripped of the captaincy by the FA and not Capello. But Capello had a lot of issues, you know, even said to the team in the dressing room, who do you want in goal, Calamity James or Joe Hart? He said it like that to them in the dressing room. Who said it? Oh, said that. To the team. He asked basically the team to select it. And then Robert Green was put in for the game against the US. So Robert Green, yeah. Because I, I think the game, yeah, against the David, US. David James game. did play in that tournament as well. So obviously they, they started with, with Green. And Green makes a really bad mistake in that game as well against the US. To yeah, change a keeper in the middle of a tournament like, is just it's nuts. Like. Uh, yeah, but as you, that's the biggest point there. The great point, Dixon, that you change your keeper. As I think Gary Neville pointed out rightly, and I'm sure you should all agree, changing the keeper really at any point of a season, let alone a tournament, is, you know, put you at nerves. I'm there today going, I see Kepa and goal, I'm going nervous. Like, you know, so if I see that there. You don't even know who your number one is. Probably at the time, Joe Hart what, should have been the number one at the time, doing well, quite well at City. He had a good spell at Birmingham alone. But um, experience, I suppose. Capello, as you said, a very old squad there. Um, I don't know. Uh, that that generation of players that they had there, you had some of the greats, Beckham, Lampard, Gerrard, Terry, Rio, Ashley Cole, Scholes, Rooney. Oh, the list goes on. Abundance, abundance of riches. And I think they should have won something. And I think as I think management is a, is a big part of it. I don't think they had the right manager, in my opinion. 
Thanks again for listening to the Flatback 4 podcast. It's fair to say England had some of the best players in the world during the golden generation. Let us know what you think. Was it the players or the manager who let the team down? 